Welcome to the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren. I will be your host this evening, and thank you so much for hanging out with tonight. We are giving you a full review of Hellfest, newest movie from Gregory Plotkin. Uh, before we get into all that uh, business, if this is your first episode, thanks for joining. What we do here is we review movies, TV shows, a bunch of different other media all over a beverage uh, as we talk about what we do with our lives. So, without further ado, we're going to go a bit of a round table. Uh, so, I want to hear from the beautiful mouth of the South, Mr. Brylan. How's it going, man? What you been sipping on and what you drinking? And also, hey, what you watching? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff to go on. Uh, yeah, I am doing well right now. Uh, right now, I am still sipping on this uh, Hawk Stotler Slow and Low Rock and Rye Whiskey. Uh, it still tastes very good and very smooth. I definitely recommend it. Um, and what I've been watching recently is Chef's Table Season 5, uh, that uh, they continue to make this fantastic continuing documentary on uh, people's inspiration and art on why they are chefs and the dishes that they make. And every episode is just well put together where you actually get this journey of this person's story and get to see the results of them just continuing to be the people they want to be. So I really appreciate it for that. Specifically, this season's really cool to tune into because it's all about underdogs or people that usually wouldn't expect to be like the top chefs in their um, in their place. But they will highlight people like uh, just a lady that makes uh, barbacoa in Philadelphia. And it's not like she works at a five-star restaurant, but they consider it the best barbacoa on the planet because of the way she makes it. So it's uh, really cool, really awesome. It's on Netflix. I always recommend anybody to watch this. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'd love to check that out. Well, uh, as always, it's great to see you. It feels like you've had that bottle for about maybe a whole year. How long have you been sipping <laughs> on that same <laughs> bottle of whiskey? No, I got this bottle like two weeks ago, and um, I, I had a little accident, so I did drink a little bit uh, the last uh, podcast we did, but then half of it went into a rum cake, or whiskey cake, I guess, uh, and so I just have very little bit left for me to sip on. Wait, you had an accident that you accidentally put it in a whiskey cake? Uh, yeah, I was making like a bourbon drizzle for a bunt cake that I made and, um, just a little extra got in there and so it soaked it pretty well. Still tasty, still a good apple cider bunt cake with a lot of whiskey aftertaste. That sounds good. Hopefully that you saved me some. Um, I didn't. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. I still like you. And our best friend, one of the silkiest, smoothest people that we've ever seen before, a little under the weather, but still amazing, Mr. Mocha Mike. What you've been sipping on and what you've been watching, my friend? Hello, Down In Front Podcast audience. How are y'all doing today? Um, I apologize for my silky, smooth voice. I would love to say that I lost my voice by screaming in terror while watching this week's movie. Uh, however, that was not the case. Uh, it's just a change of seasons over here in New York, up in the Northeast. And, you know, I got sick. As it happens, Colt's going around and I lost my voice. But I'm pushing through it and I'm here for you all today. So you're going to have to suffer with me. Uh, as for what I'm drinking, I have my, with me today a delicious Maniac Pilsner. For those of you watching the video, I'll like post that up there because it looks really good. Actually, this beer can is dope. I might just post it to the Twitter account. But um, it's a Pilsner from Kings County Brewers Collective, uh, also known as KCBC. It's this joint right around the corner from where I live in Brooklyn. They make great beer, and I figured the Maniac uh, title would be perfect to go in line with our movie tonight. Uh, finally, as for what I've been watching, I recently binged my way through The Dragon Prince on Netflix. 
this show was pretty dope. Uh, it's an animated series that really feels like they're trying to capture the, the magic and the adventure of the original Avatar, the last Airbender series. It's definitely, at least not in this first season, as good, but the characters are really enjoyable, the adventure is fun, the animation is really fluid, and they do a good job job of building out a world that is interesting, even though it kind of relies on a lot of the tropes that we've seen in other fantasy stories like Lord of the Rings. So it was only nine episodes for this first season. It's clear that Netflix wants us to do well so that they can make more, so I'm going to look forward to uh, the next series that comes out. Yeah, I saw the... I tuned into the first episode, and I was getting the feeling that the story was kind of like um, the skeleton script you get for writing a Final Fantasy story. <laughs> so you have like your multicolored like uh, elementals and all this stuff set up, uh, t- war torn nation, everything like is perfectly set up for a good adventure. Um, I thought the characters had some really unique personalities in that first episode, but the animation was just really throwing me off in that first episode. There's moments where it feels like the animation's at like five frames a second. You don't know if they did it on purpose or if it's just bad. So this is actually something that remained consistent throughout my viewing of it. Uh, Like you mentioned that sometimes it feels like it's almost going at a low frame rate. In fact, in our group chat for the Down Front podcast, someone posted the trailer for it when it first came out. And I remember asking, oh, is my internet bad or is the frame rate for this video really low? And that definitely follows through. It's their artistic choice. I, it threw me off for a bit, but you get used to it real fast. Uh, I do, though, wish that it was a bit more fluid. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is great. I mean, I definitely have to check this out, especially if it's on Netflix. I feel like this is the year of the Netflix. They've been pumping out a lot of good stuff recently uh, within the last couple of years, but it definitely feels like they're coming to their own. So I'm even glad they're pulling out even more and more animated stuff. That's exciting. So that's always cool. And I am Warren. I will be your host this evening, as in most nights. And I am currently sipping on a Jameson and Diet Coke because I need to watch my figure. Uh, and I also have been watching, I've been watching a bunch of stuff, um, but season three of Insecure just wrapped up. It's on HBO. Um, I know I have talked about it a lot, but if you guys haven't seen it, and audience, if you haven't seen it yet, definitely go check it out. I mean, th- it definitely gives you a crazy, crazy detailed and like very accurate, I believe, you know, depiction of just, you know, people like, <clears throat> like black people living inside of LA and, um, you know, just dealing with like normal days sort of life and activities and shit like that. So definitely go check it out. I really enjoyed season three. I wasn't a huge fan of the actual ending. I felt like it, they needed to do like a 60 minute episode, but it was just a standard, you know, 30 minutes. But I do, I did like it. I'm definitely going to probably rewatch it again. I hope they get signed on for a bunch more seasons because I know that these characters that we've now grown to and love, like hopefully will get better and better. So I'm super pumped about that. And so, yeah, that's what I've been watching. So again, tonight we are going to be reviewing uh, a newest thriller movie called Hellfest by director Gregory Plotkin. Um, so the one thing we wanted to ask is a pre-spoiler question. So we try to make sure that we don't spoil any of the movie for anybody. Even if we don't like the movie, we don't agree with it, or even us on the Down and Run podcast may not agree. Still, all movies are sacred and you shouldn't, you shouldn't spoil them. But we wanted to get into a, a bit of a pre-spoiler question here. So what was your favorite haunted house movie experience uh, either movie or sort of experience um so i'll toss it over to mr brylan first what you got for me uh yeah so a lot of haunted house movies out there i think are uh pretty cheesy but um the one that really sticks out to me is one from the 1980s called simply house and it's not about the medical doctor. It's uh, just about a house that is uh, haunted and, and actually has spirits that are um, like uh, kind of controlling everything that happens in it. And has to deal ultimately deals with alternate dimensions. And it gets really crazy and has some really cool, unique monsters set up for it. But my favorite haunted house experience I've ever had was when I took a trip to Berlin a few years ago. Uh, my brother and I, we were going to go to this museum to check out 
a former Nazi uh, air raid bunker where people were kept when like bombs were being dropped in Berlin and things like that. And in order to get into the museum, you actually had to go through a two-level haunted house inside the bunker itself. So they're using like these old like little crevices and uh, catacombs and stuff to kind of like have people dressed up in. Uh, monster outfits to jump out and spook you and it, it was fun it's exciting but i also thought it was like one of the neatest ways to get into a museum i've ever done too that sounds badass yeah <laughs> nice mocha what about you um well as far as favorite haunted house movie that's a really interesting question i think i'm gonna have to throw it back to 1999 for house on haunted hill um, by no means is this an endorsement of the film being good, <laughs> but it is my favorite, like a classic haunted house movie. If I have to think back really quick and uh, imagine one, um, it's very nineties. It's got Tay Diggs in it, Jeffrey Rush, a bunch of other people, and basically oh, this. Yeah, Owen Wilson. (laughs) Basically, the premise is, you know, a bunch of people are offered like a million bucks to be able to spend one night in a haunted house. And as the night progresses, the demons and spirits that are trapped in the house start to take their vengeance out on these innocent folk and uh, all hell breaks loose. And it's just, you know, kind of a movie that I watched as a kid that I really that I that I enjoyed. And actually, now that I talk about it, I kind of want to go back and watch it again. Maybe it'll be on Netflix. Yeah, it could be. That'd be pretty cool to check it out. Especially, you know, welcome to the month of October. That's all you should be watching is hilariously amazing slash terrible horror movies, right? The most uh, 90s thing about this movie is the fact that Chris Kattan is in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's very very 90s. (laughs) All right. Uh, I would say... I know that it wasn't quite a haunted house movie, but I think a lot of these haunted house type of cliches have been pretty bad. Uh, but it's either a mix between Saw and Saw 2. Uh, I think that was interesting. Yeah, I did like that. I actually enjoyed the movie. I liked uh, that it was felt like it was based off of a story and not just a random slasher. Uh, and it definitely added a bit more of... Um, some uh, intelli- intelligence, intellectuals, intelligence into the movie of you know why like was this person was this guy actually evil was everybody else evil and really kind of made you think and so I like some of the things that he was kind of putting up in these two movies. I'm only referring to Saw one and two. All the other ones don't count, so let's not even bring those up. Um, but I did like Saw one and two. I, I think that's probably my favorite sort of experience so far. That's back in two thousand four, which is kind of a bummer because it's only you know fourteen years old. But uh, I don't think there's been any other movies that I enjoyed um, as, as enough. So that was probably would be what I'll go with for my selection. Cool. Well, guys, we're pumped. We're excited. Uh, I'm pumped to actually talk about this. It feels like me and Mocha is going to get into some uh, heated discussions and uh, I may need a new wedding date soon. But before we before we end up uh, ruining the movie for you, we would say this is where we're going to take a break. So if you haven't seen Hellfest just yet, I wouldn't suggest watching it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... If you definitely want to check it out, you know, feel free. You know, I, this is a movie that I'd say that you may want to end up either. If you do want to go out, make sure you have a few friends. You have a bunch of friends. You have a couple of drinks. Like you want to have some fun and kind of sort of like make fun of a movie while you're watching it. I think you're going to get a lot of good out of it. Uh, if you're just trying to find a movie to kill some time, maybe not so much. I think there's some other stuff that's going to be coming out this weekend too that you may just want to wait on. So if you haven't seen Hellfest just yet and you want to be spoiled, stay tuned. We'll be right back for a quick break with a full spoiler review of Hellfest. And we are back, and we're the Down in Front Podcast. My name is Warren. I'm with Brylin. I'm with Mocha. And we are in our spoiler section. So if you haven't seen the movie tonight, we are going to be reviewing and spoiling Hellfest. Uh, so the way that we're going to be talking about this movie, you know, it's a horror movie that's going to be here. So we'll we'll break it up into a couple different sections. You know, we want to talk about the acting a little bit and the story. Uh, and then I did actually want to ask you guys to, how about we grade some of these murders in here? Because I think that's always something that 
I always look forward to as a slasher film. You know people are going to die, but how much effort do they put into it? So I definitely wanted to see if we can kind of grade some murders uh, in here, and then we'll wrap it up with the final conclusion. And definitely stay tuned because we will be having a life, a last call. Um, so definitely kind of check that out. But uh, I'm going to toss it over to the mouth of the South. Brylin, tell me what you got. Uh, yeah, so I'll start off by saying... Probably the most, the thing that disappointed me the most about this film is that there's a lot of cool ideas here, uh, but everything comes out executed very blandly and very plainly and expected instead of shocking you. That's probably the saddest thing about this movie. Um, you got a cast that it's a lot of people that are not stars or anything like that. They do a solid job of playing the typical slasher victim role, I believe. Um, but uh, one of the biggest things I love about this movie is just the design and the setting of Hellfest itself. I think it's really cool that um, I haven't seen in a horror movie before that we have a killer on the loose inside of um, like the more realistic haunted house that we expect. And this is a fairground of haunted houses where you can actually get more different experiences out of each one uh whereas a typical haunted house movie is set up where it's like the dark strange castle on the cliff with uh the old old matron taking care of the uh house that may be haunted or not and that's always the premise of the haunted house movie it's cool that they said let's put the slasher in a haunted house uh, movie like we would actually go to haunted houses in real life. So I thought that was actually a really good plus for this movie. Unfortunately, everything else, uh, when it comes to creating scares inside of a haunted house uh, village, essentially, it's pretty obvious what everything is going for. And um, even like the slasher himself, he is doesn't feel like chilling or anything he's kind of reminds me of like this scream type of villain which i kind of like because he's kind he's mortal he's not like an unstoppable machine like michael myers or jason he can get kicked in the nuts and feel it if it happens uh but uh for the most part i felt that anytime he did kill someone it was kind of tepid and um and that nothing was really surprising in this movie it was kind of like very paint by numbers uh, it was nice to see Tony Todd, though. He's always amazing. I loved his little MC role. I think we should have seen him visually more and not and not just his voice introducing all the haunted houses. Uh, but he has a great voice. But I would have liked to have seen that MC pop up in other like levels of Hellfest as well. Yeah, I think, you know, the, just the, the introduction, like the insertion of Tony Todd being in this movie the director at least knew what sort of movie that this was making, right? Like, I, I felt when I saw him, I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of, you kind of get that people who are going to recognize this guy who's in this movie, they're going to know that, oh, this is a horror movie. Like, it, we're, this, you're, the only reason why Tony Todd's in here is that he's making this movie kind of for us, sort of thing. Uh, and so I did like that. It, I did like the fact that it added a bit of campiness to it. Um, I just didn't feel like anything else sort of matched in the movie besides that, you know, and it was kind of a bummer that they do a couple things like put Tony Todd in, like clearly do like the classic um, jump scares and things like that in the movie for the campiness that you can forgive. But then other times they try to keep it, they try to make it uh, be serious and I just wasn't sure why they were trying to do that. Like, you know what movie that you're going to be. Just choose that one movie. Don't try to put in actual conflict and actual stakes when you've already sort of abandoned that idea in the first place, you know? Yeah, and it's like they didn't want to stick to their own rules that they were trying to set up, like uh, Gavin's death, for instance. Like, you see him walk into that worker's area, and he tries to pick up the hammer, and he's like, eh, it's too heavy. Uh, And then all of a sudden, when the... uh, killer grabs it grabs it with one hand like it's nothing and then just goes about smashing his head in. and i was like okay i must have missed something here maybe gavin was just playing a joke to himself or something i have no idea what would happen or he's just weak and well what's particularly annoying about that and i'm gonna get into this myself too is that that the implication there is oh this villain has some sort of otherworldly strength we still yeah. haven't seen what he looks like maybe he's otherworldly 
but he's just a dude. Yeah. So there was no point in that. Unless you're just really trying to rub it in, uh, like, Gavin's face. Like, the actor's like, yo, this guy's a soy boy. He can't do shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, even in the beginning, right, I, I was also thinking that uh, maybe it was um, – uh, he did have super strength because he picked up that woman. He was like lynching, basically stringing everybody up, and maybe he can easily kind of do that. And I and I see that, and that's probably why people were dying really easily when he was stabbing them. And I get that, but then again, no, <laughs> you know, like that that comes into the later. I'm like, your steel toe boots, bro, is the only thing that makes you super. I, I I got nothing. I know. Yeah, it goes very back and forth where it's like he kills Gavin with authority, but down the road he's like struggling with stabbing people or um, even uh, just uh, trying to hide himself from authorities when they actually find out he's actually running around. Yeah, it's 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 just very odd. Uh, I just, I just, there's a lot of things I just didn't get for about this movie. Yeah, and ultimately, uh, like, if y'all don't mind if I jump to, like, the reveal of the killer, um, that, I mean, we find out at the end that the killer is just, like, a, a guy with a daughter at home and just, like, everyday suburban dad or husband that has in his basement a closet full of different masks and uh, he comes home to his little girl and, and she says, Daddy, and that's all we see of the killer because he escaped and everything. But it's never really earned. It doesn't really illuminate anything about the killer. When I saw those different masks, I was trying to think like, okay, is he supposed to be some guy from another franchise or um, is he from Twisted Metal because there's a big clown mask there? I don't know. Um, it's, well, I think uh, what they were getting at there was just the fact that in the beginning of the movie, they talk about how, oh, you know, there's been other such like haunted houses where people have been killed. And I think the idea was like, this dude just has masks for every haunted house that comes into town. Yeah. Yeah, but it would have been way more impactful if we, like, if this would have just been somebody that we've seen, like, show his, I understand, I don't know why you're not showing his face, like, make it seem that this person's a normal person that's trying to help out that you would never, like, that's the creepiness about it. I think it's creepy when we know that this is just a normal person in everyday life, that's a barista, or, like, the bartender, or just somebody who's normal, who just likes to do this who like lives out of a van or something like that like I, th- I think it would have been way more interesting to make it somebody that we've seen somebody that we've at least seen a couple times that we clearly know who he is like for one reason i was like oh maybe it's a security guard right for example um or maybe it was like a group of people maybe it was a family anything would have been better than the reveal <laughs> that they gave us and yeah. that's what i thought was kind of a bummer um even for the fact that um, the reveal was so bland that you know he sees. I, I, I get, basically he was he does this to get his daughter gifts from like the carnival, the carnival games, and so the same sort of um, stuffed animal that uh, Brooke and Ash had, he gave that to his daughter. But. It's also curious. Is okay. Then why why are you killing these people and not just random people in the park that cross? It would be much easier to kill random people in the park, but for some reason you're targeting people for no reason. Um, I think it's well. He was targeting. He was he was uh, targeting women like people who were rude to him. Right. The one girl bumps into him and then for some reason has this reaction, which no one in their right mind in a haunted house theme park would have, which is what's like, he, she says like, what are you trying to do? Scare me? Fuck off. And it's like, well, you're in a, you're literally in a place called Hellfest. You pay to get in here. Yeah. Like, why are you offended? But she pushes past him. And so he targets her. And then later on afterwards, the girl is like kind of rude to him too, right? Because she's watching him hold her. And then she's like, well, what are you waiting for? Just do it already. And then at that point, like she had seen him. And so that gave him cause to, to follow through with her because she was the only person that knew at that point that there was an actual quote unquote killer. Yeah, but like he's killing people that's rude to him because he was rude or creepy in the first place. That's going to elicit that particular reaction to somebody. Like, 
if you if you're walking and you're gonna bump into somebody, somebody's gonna say something. Especially when uh, what was his name? Gravy Boy. Yeah. Especially for for Gavin. Oh, Gavin. Sorry. Uh, For Gavin being in like that sort of area, he's awkwardly sitting there, standing, kind of watching him the entire time. Gavin didn't do anything to him. He then pushes Gavin, trips Gavin out the way, and then ends up killing him. But I'm like, well, why? Like, I I I don't I don't see you 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 being that creepy and going after these people. It was also weird. The other thing that I thought was kind of silly was the fact that, you know, you clearly have um, Natalie's character dead to rights in the house at the end, but you choose to hit her in the face and kind of break her nose yeah. and not kill her. Oh, weird. But you're going to go and run after, you know, Brooke's character for some strange reason without killing Natalie. And so I'm like, what, what are you doing? Kill them all. You can easily kill all of these people in this movie. It can be five minutes, but I don't know so, why you're like drawing it out. So there was a potential there for him to have had some weird fascination with the girl, Ashley, right? So, or whatever her name was, Natalie. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we, he first sees her and he stalks her or whatever, when he finds her in the bathroom, he kind of just goes up to her while she's doing the most awkward hair drying scene. Like, first of all, I don't know who in the right mind uses one of those weak ass like elementary school hair blowers that sounds like this <laughs> and stands below it and just closes their eyes for seven minutes straight while like gently scratching their scalp. Like no one would dry their hair like oh, that. Oh, you, you see it at the commuter train station all the time. <laughs> well, even be- even but, before even before that, Mocha, look how high that damn machine was. Did y'all realize that she like, it was like seven feet? Yeah, it was like seven she feet had to slam tall. dunk in order to hit the on switch. But like, so she's under there drying her hair, and he's just standing next to her, like kind of watching her, right? So there's oh, maybe he's obsessed with her. Then uh, she goes into the bathroom, and he follows her, and just kind of. Instead of using his brute strength like he did with everybody else and, like, busting down the door, he just shakes the door creepily and then, like, touches her head when she switches over to the other stall. Which, by the way, if somebody is trying to break into your bathroom stall and your escape plan is just to go under into the next stall over and you're like, phew, I made it. And you relax. You're an (laughs) asshole. You deserve to die. (laughs) But, But at that point, there was this sense that, oh, maybe he's obsessed with her. But there was no payoff to that, right? When he does finally catch up to her, he bashes her in the face, right? Which is kind of weird, but he just does that. But then, like, I would have thought that the very least, when you see that when you get to his house and you see his daughter, maybe his daughter is a is a little brunette white girl. Mm-hmm. Maybe his daughter's name is Natalie, and so he had some sort of weird connection there. But there's nothing there either. The daughter is just some like it's just blonde and. We don't get her name, and there's nothing really to tie it in. So, the the choice to bash at, uh, like what's her face in the face instead of kill her when he had the opportunity doesn't make sense with everything else that's going on, and it completely de- deflates any all the, the the bit of good will that they had built up in the movie for me as a viewer. Yeah, and and like this movie, I mean, it it seems to set up some really cool things and then automatically deflate them with the next scene afterwards. Like um, when uh, Quinn and Taylor, like when he kills them, it's out in the open in front of a a hundred different eyewitnesses in front of security and everything. He's like, all right, I'm just going to be... Mr. Stabby Stabbington and just take us out. I'm like, okay, that was unexpected. That's actually pretty cool that you're not giving no fucks about anybody around you anymore. What's going to happen next? And then you see Brooke and Natalie. It's like, there's the exit, a big exit sign. They walk in and like, oh, it's another haunted house. Who saw that coming? Everybody did. Well, and even to the point where, how the hell did the police know where they were? They had a map. No one knows. I mean, no one knows. And also, you're telling me that you're able to text with no issues in a bathroom stall, but the moment you make a call, you don't have any signal? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. These are the things that I'm like, come on, man. This is just... It's it's kind of lazy. It's just so lazy of it. I can... At least, like, you clearly know that this person... At one point, you knew that this person has uh, Gravy Boy's phone. And so in that particular case... Why not keep calling that phone so you know where he is as a tracker or something? Use some sort of common sense, some intellect to make like, make you stand out instead of just being super scared and running one direction, thinking that everything is going to be okay. 
it, it just mind-boggling. Yeah, you you touched really quickly on uh, the police earlier, and I just want to point out that there's one thing that really annoys me in movies when any sort of officer, soldier who is trained in the, the, the usage of a gun uh, is involved, where they don't follow the most basic premise of gun safety where you don't point it at anybody else. Because when those two uh, fake police officers came into the haunted house looking for the body at the end, the, both of them are doing this weird thing where they're just like hunched over with their arms completely locked out and they're holding their gun and swinging it like in an arc. And they keep on like pointing at each other, like the back of each other's heads as they're looking <laughs> back and forth. And I'm like, these guys deserve to get shot. They both do. They need to shoot each other. <laughs> yeah. Be like or like predator all over again. Or one other thing that like kind of just would be bothering me is that there's, all these hired actors to be these monsters and everything in this Hellfest. And then when an actual murder goes down, if they're an eyewitness to it, they're not just like, what the fuck, bro? Why did you do that? They, I mean, they're not breaking that character. They're still staying in character where one will actually hold the other person in place while the slasher like just goes ahead and stabs the victim. And he's just like, happy all we do. It just like leaves the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else do we have here for the uh, acting in the story before we get into grade your murders? I mean, you know, the acting itself. So this is actually applies to a lot of this movie for me. Uh, the acting itself wasn't wasn't bad, but it wasn't really anything more than just passable. Like it was uninspired. It was just like they didn't do it. Actually, they didn't do a terrible job of just acting like teens hanging out. For the most part, they were a little, a little bit hyperactive, but not too. Uh, like it was whatever. There wasn't really anything interesting there. The villain is not has not. You had nothing to talk about with acting for him because there was no acting. He was just like a stalker walking around. Um, there's really not much to look at when it comes to the acting, aside from just the teens hanging out, which was passable at best. Um, but I also feel that way about a lot of this movie. It's you know, the movie was boring, and that was, for me, was the most offensive thing. Um, you want to talk about story, Warren. When you have a stalker slasher film, right, the horror of it, the scariness of it, comes from the fact that this person is following you around, um, is following you around, and he can be a threat at any given time. And if you take a movie like Halloween, for instance, you know, the, the godfather of all stalker horror movies, uh... Michael Myers stalks Jamie Lee Curtis and the rest of the characters in it through their normal suburban neighborhood. So you're taking something that's really inherently unsettling and putting it into a place where you're supposed to be safe, and that creates uh, this discordance that is scary. With this movie, they set it in a haunted, like a like a series of haunted houses, which is fine, right? It's a bit a bit on the nose. But it's fine, right? It's a cool idea. Oh, the villain is hiding among the other actors, so you don't know where he is. But my big problem with this movie is that they establish that it's in a haunted house, and then they continue to spend a lot of time just showing people hanging out in the haunted house, walking through the haunted house, getting jump scares from things that are in the haunted house. And that should have been, that shit should have been cut early on. Once you establish that they're in the haunted house, as an audience member, I know that nothing in the haunted house is has any sort of actual threat because the threat is the villain who we see coming because he always starts a scene standing still in a doorway somewhere. So every single scene where they were going through more and more and more of the haunted house, going through another room and jumping at this or going through another room and jumping at that was a waste of time. There's no way to build tension there. You know that everything around them is fake. It's the point of it. And you know that the villain is always going to appear standing still and then walk towards you. So so much of this movie, it was an hour and a half, and honestly, like 40 minutes of it could have been cut. Because it was was pointless. It didn't build any tension. It didn't add to the vibe. Nothing. It was just us watching kids hang out. And that's not, like, that's not why I went to see this movie. Yeah, and I was even fine with the kids not really having that close of a connection to one another. You get a little bit with Natalie and Brooke, and they talk about, in the middle of the movie, like, after Halloween's over, let's rekindle our friendship and go to Spain. I was like, sure, fine, that's good filler text yeah but uh what? like like uh the whole like 
when you're introduced to like Taylor and uh, Natalie and Brooke, that's Natalie's visiting for the first time to Brooke in a while, and surprise Taylor, who was someone she didn't like in grade school, is her roommate now, and uh, Taylor has a pet name for Natalie, which I forget. It's uh, school. <laughs> what was it? Grade school? What was it? Grade school? school? Yeah. <laughs> and. I mean, it just, it never sounds insulting or anything. It's just like, here, let me give you a generic term that you can call this person, and we'll just try to play it up as berating because we don't want to be offensive or anything. It's It was just very overly, like, antiseptic for a slasher film. Yeah, and you know what? Those relationships... They should have been established. The point of establishing those relationships is to have a, an, an emotional payoff when someone has to witness someone else die, right? Um, but that never happens. No one witnesses anybody die until until the girl who keeps calling the main character grade school gets like stabbed. But, but that doesn't really matter at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really annoyed me was that so much of this time in this movie was spent focusing on the relationship, especially in particular Natalie and Gravy Boy. And with Gravy yeah. the situation with him is that it's like, cool, if you want to build up their relationship, have this slow burn where we're seeing that they're awkwardly into each other, they don't know how to make it happen, and then they finally make a move on each other in the photo booth, and things are good, and then things start going downhill from there, cool, fine. Have his death be in front of her eyes to be either the first uh, catalyst to make people realize that, oh, this shit is real, or have him survive to the end and have there be some drama built there with him having to die at the very last minute or something like that. But when you spend all that time building up their relationship and then just have them die off screen, it means the rest of the stuff that came before it is pointless and didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It never becomes an issue later on until it's um, like until it's just the uh, you know the payoff of the killer having his cell phone in the bathroom. But again, that doesn't do anything with the relationship. And it's just a waste of time. So much of this movie wasted our time as viewers. Yeah, and it could it should be a good signal to Natalie that maybe Gravy Boy's not worth the investment after he spends over an hour supposedly trying to win a stuffed animal for her <laughs> after Asher told her that. And he's just it's like it goes from sweet to being creepy, and maybe you could have used that to try to connect him to the killings going on in the Hellfest, which is yeah. really neat. Or give us a little bit of uh, mystery. Give us a reason to think that Gravy Boy is the killer. Oh, he says he's going to go like go and get something for her, and then but he doesn't come back. But after that, the killer starts becoming more apparent where they are. Like make give, make that be a mystery for us. Give us something for this to, to be. But it was nothing. It was just pointless. Even to the fact that you like, I thought they were going to do more with like the dead bodies. I was hoping that the dead bodies would come back at some point or they're in a haunted house. Maybe he can put the dead bodies in a haunted house and we can, that's our reveal of these people are actually dead or something. Like we've seen them die, but like, okay, cool. But where the hell are you hiding these bodies? Are these bodies just randomly sprawled around or cause even after the end that you said that we, there's four confirmed kills. Cool. I'm pretty sure somebody's going to see that there's a dead body just randomly lying on the ground. So, and it's not in the it's not in the haunted house. That dead body was in the locker room. With yeah. his head smashed open, like clearly there's an issue there. What the fuck? Nobody's saying yeah. anything. Yeah, I was hoping like uh, when the group like rolled up to that next section of Hellfest and they had to pull out like the maps from the uh, person's stomach, that that was going to be like Gravy Boy in some way. That that the killer had put them there and they're, they're actually pulling the maps out of his real stomach instead of an actor and like when you get the boo surprise from the actor you're like oh you know what that'd be a cool that would be a cool bit in a real haunted house festival that you go to but for this movie give us something unique that that moment is worth it instead of it just yeah. feeling like people walking around a haunted house even something that you could potentially see coming, like, let's say, as each person gets picked off and killed, uh, the actual characters are blissfully unaware of it. They're just like, oh, I can't find my friends. And then later on at the end, as the killer is chasing the final two victims into that final haunted house and they get to that dead end room, have all of the bodies be strung up there. Have the bodies, like, be the ones that of her friends be the ones that are popping out of the doors when they cross the the line like give us a payoff for that make it matter but there was no payoff none of it mattered Got and it. we're all the worst for having seen it i also just realized that the killer the slasher in this film isn't even 
on the IMDb page. Yeah, he's not casted. He probably didn't want to be cut to this film. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'll do your dirty work, but uh, yeah, just keep it on the down low. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I wonder who it was. I wonder if it was Matt Damon. That'd be great. <laughs> it's Andrew Lincoln. <laughs> All right, guys. So we've talked about story. We've talked about it. Let's get into our last section before our conclusion. Let's grade some of these murders. What do you got? What, uh, what sort of? We really we only see like maybe four murders in this entire movie. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk uh, a little bit. And let's grade some. How about you, Mocha? Well, most of the murders were pretty basic, in my opinion. I mean, like two of the of the murders were just stabs. They just got stabbed a lot. Another, um, but for me, the one that was most impactful was the needle in the eye. That actually ruined my night. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable for me to watch. And I'll give them that. Like the death scenes, uh, like looked pretty cool. I'll give them that. And that needle in the eye was really, really gross. And it gave me flashbacks to the film uh, Fire in the Sky, which I don't know if any of you oh, guys yeah. have seen. But that's yeah. a movie that traumatized me when I was a kid. And there's a scene in, in that movie where someone, a dude gets a needle slowly put into his eyeball. And that has I have never forgotten that. And this movie brought all of that back. So that is definitely my highest ranked kill for, for this film. Yeah, and even though the um, the tussle between the killer and I think it's Ash that gets stabbed in the eye, uh, even though that's kind of silly and corny and everything, I think it's it looks pretty funny because it looks like the slasher's like saying, hold still while I get as close as possible to your eye with this needle, <laughs> that it's not like a slow-mo needle into the eye that at the very last moment, as close as possible, he just freaking jams it home into his eye, which I think was the uh, shocking part of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was just even hoping for even more in that scene. Like, that's why I was like, maybe he does have super strength. I was going back and forth because that dude clearly got overpowered with a span. Like, he didn't even try to do anything. He didn't kick him. He didn't try to bite him. He didn't even try to move his face. He literally just let slowly yeah, let that need uh, yeah. <laughs> He slowly let the need And that guy was the most down. jacked. And that guy was the most jacked of the whole group. Yeah. Just shows that jacking doesn't always pay off. <laughs> I mean, it does for me. <laughs> Bradley, what about you? Uh, for me, I think the most uh, fun uh, kill of this uh, movie was the uh, gu- guillotine or attempted kill. Uh, I just like it gets kind of culminated with everything I thought was kind of cool about this movie, where you have this killer that's having to be in the same environment as the uh, as the victims, where it's a haunted house with a lot of props around it and everything. Nothing's a real weapon, but you got to find a way to use it as a weapon, which I thought was really cool about the guillotine, that it's old and rickety, and it is a prop. It's not like a real guillotine that he's trying to kill her with. That it has a dull blade, that's also something that is going to be something you find at a haunted house. You'll have a dull blade guillotine where they could cut fake heads off and stuff. So I actually respected that attention to detail and everything. Uh, And I even like that, yeah, he pretty much goes through with the execution and then because the blade is dull, it just cuts the back of her neck and Taylor's able to like kind of break the guillotine and get out of it because it is just a toy prop and everything and starts running away. And then they decide to ruin that kill by just doing the all-out stabathon of everybody in the middle of the park. So. <laughs> yeah, another huge, another situation where they just where they had something going and then they did one thing that made everything come before it useless. That is like scary, right? So one of the th- themes that you find in horror move, horror that really strikes chords with people very easily is claustrophobia. And so the idea of her being all happy-go-lucky and excited, and then he forces her into a different position and ties her down really tight, like that's inherently scary, right? That makes your yeah. chest tight in the theater. Uh, and the fact that she got away is an amazing release of tension that you should be able to use to generate further uh, um, tension as you go forward but instead she runs outside and in the very next moment he catches up and stabs her and that's just it she's dead and so it was just such a waste it was such a waste of such good stuff and like even the guillotine scene itself was a little silly because she was strapped down in her arms by her neck and on her back and i think maybe even her legs 
and we see her like get her hand loose and untie the strap on her neck and then she manages to break free of everything else and get away <laughs> without him ever noticing and he's literally right next to her just trying to like flick a switch or, or like you know well he's trying to unjam the guillotine and try to try to chop her head off again with it oh yeah definitely but he is a total of four inches away from her and he doesn't yeah. hear her break all the other straps <laughs> get up and run out the room screaming like come on man work yeah. with us here yeah, but I mean, it was. I was hoping they would like dive more into this, where they had the killer have to use like all these haunted house uh, props in order to actually kill his victims. I think it'd be a cool challenge to have for your killer. But uh, they kind of bypass it. Like he finds the doctor's office and is able to get a syringe. He's able, to, or he was in that workers' area and found a syringe in the first aid mm-hmm. kit. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a mighty hammer in when he when he actually cornered Gravy Boy. He was able to just slide a hand, steal an ice pick because there happened to be a snow cone vendor right there that was a little too busy to recognize that his ice pick got stolen. Uh, so there were too many like convenient like lethal weapons. I think showed up, but that guillotine and uh, to a point like even using the uh, whacking uh, the whacking mallet, <laughs> the, the like feet of strength mallet, <laughs> the Mueller uh, mallet. mallet. Yeah. That that's a really cool like prop death to actually include in this, and I wish they actually doubled down on that a bit more. I even Agreed. thought that. The fact that when the killer is coming into the the actual sort of theme park or the haunted house, I thought he was bringing his own weapons, and that's why he was choosing to wear those steel-toed boots, knowing that you know when he walks through a metal detector that he's going to go off. So that was also a terrible sort of like wand because he only like wanted him down one side of his actual <laughs> pants but whatever right maybe he brought his own like mallet or his own hatchet he somehow he brought his own weapons into this not oh i'm just gonna find a way to kind of kill these people by luck right like just by getting some of these and he also discarded some of the weapons because why not just carry that mallet around clearly it was super effective against that dude's head so why not just use that for the rest of the actual um movie it 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 was just a lot uh but i do would i would agree with you bradley i did think um out of the kills that we actually had like i really did enjoy that beheading sequence i'll i'll rate that as a seven out of ten um just because i felt like the execution could have been better but i do like how they were setting it up (laughs) because they give us a bit of a (laughs) you see i did there uh they they were giving us a bit of um they play a joke on it before we see it happen, and then, and then it really happens. I'm like, okay, that would have been cool if it really happened. How often do we see a guillo- like somebody's head being chopped off via guillotine? That's great. Right. Um, it's like one out of every four horror movies. Yeah, true. pretty much. True. <laughs> true. true. Very, very true. Very true. But, uh, yeah, and I think I like that, uh, that moment a little bit better. I gave it an 8 out of 10 just because, like, the whole set piece is – it is. It starts with Tony Todd giving this great, like, uh, just monologue about creatures of the night and hell and death and everything fun about Halloween, and ending with the fake guillotine beheading of Taylor, and then that actual beheading of Taylor, which I thought was or attempted beheading, which I thought was just very clever on that type of uh, murder piece that you haven't seen it set up like that before. And with that, we have the Down in Front Podcast. Let's get into talking about our conclusions before we wrap it up. So, final thoughts of the movie, Brylip? Yeah, this movie was just very boring and bland for a slasher film. Uh, but there were some clever ideas in there that maybe under a better director or a better creative team, it could have been like a fantastic movie. Mocha, what you got? If you're going to try to come at us with a stalker horror movie in the year that the original stalker horror movie is getting its triumphant vital entry, you're going to have to come with a little more than what the uh, the team behind Health Fest did. Uh, like like we said earlier, it was the most offensive thing about this movie was that it was boring. Um, it had the potential to be at least really decent, and it wasn't. It was just super. Uh, bland and uninspiring and I'm just disappointed in Neil Blumkin 
or whatever the director's name is. <laughs> no, this is not Neil Blumkin. <laughs> you take that back. He actually makes good. Like, oh, that's Blomkamp anyway. It'd be fine. Gregory Plotkin. Gregory Plotkin. Uh, I definitely will echo everything you guys said. I think I actually looked at this was I was a bit I was really upset. I was actually pretty angry for this movie um, because of how bad that it was. And I can understand if you do a cookie cutter of a film. I get that. I get people not being like I, I, I get campiness. I get the fact that you have to redo. You have to retread some stuff. But I don't think you need to retread why those previous movies also failed. And they just literally kept doing that same thing too. And that's what really kind of frustrated me. Um, just from the opening sequence of how people were acting. And just nobody had any common sense that they wanted to use. Or, you know, if anybody would have just went back and said, hey, let's go in pairs together instead of being split up individually. It, it, any sort of sense of common sense would have thwarted this dude at any point <laughs> in the way, yet everybody chose not to do that. And that was what frustrated me. I really don't like this movie. I never want to use hate, so I won't use it here, but I would not recommend this movie by any means. And with that, we are the Down to Front Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We're super pumped to have you on here. Brylan, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me, unfortunately, getting a cut on my leg from a killer that's chasing me in a haunted house that uh, the scares only get uh, activated by uh, some sensors on the floor. And when I get this cut, it accidentally uh, makes it where I cannot lift my leg over these sensors so they, they, the killer can find my location at on Twitter <laughs> at Bryland, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. <laughs> you can't be uh, mad. You can't be mad anymore, Brylin, Right? You can't be mad. Here's my necklace pendant that came from nowhere. <laughs> um, you can also find me on Instagram, where I'll post many movie reviews and TV reviews. Uh, at I am Brylin. I'll put one up for Chef's Table very soon. Uh, and I'm also the host of the Downfront Gamescast, Twitch.tv slash Downfront Podcast. We are playing through Spider Man on the PS4 right now. Uh, we beat up the shocker, and we're going to see what happens next. And Mocha, where can people find more of your delicious work? Yeah, well, you all can find me posting videos of myself centrally drying my hair beneath a seven-foot-tall hand dryer at Twitter. I'm looking like L-I, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at Mocha Mike. The person who owns that handle was murdered in a theme park and his body hasn't been found since. Uh, so until they find his body and his Twitter password, you'll find me at, at Twitter, at Mocha Mike Li. You can also find me on Instagram, at Mocha Mike, where I post a lot of photography work. I'm going to be posting some images from my more recent trip to France there soon, so check that out. And also on Medium, at Mocha Mike, where I write some long-form reviews about the things that we talk about here. And you can find out more of our work, so check out our website, downinfrontpodcast.com. That's going to be have on our video teasers, literally anything and all the information that you need. You'll definitely kind of start there. If you find us on any sort of social media, you can find us on your favorite sort of uh, podcast view, um, listening. So whether it's iTunes, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Google Play, we're going to just be everywhere. So just search for us, downinfrontpodcast.com. On Twitter, we're at underscore DAFP. And on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash downinfrontpodcast. If you like what we do and you want to support us and get Get some bonus episodes, get some early episodes, and also get some uh, more information that we've been doing. Definitely choose to become a patron, patreon.com, so it's down in front podcast, even for this lowly, lowly price of uh, uh, pumpkin spice latte. Uh, that'll be great for us. Uh, a little, what's that called? P.S. P.S. Pumpkin spice P.S.L. I'm not a good speller. Definitely become a patron, patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for everybody. I'm super pumped. Our next review will be Venom. Venom. Okay. I didn't know for sure, we but... We will be reviewing Venom. I really hope that this movie is much better than collectively our last four reviews, not counting next <laughs> gen. Uh, so, we're pumped. Uh, thanks so much for everybody. We will see you next week. And goodbye. So long. Farewell. Get scared. Bye, everybody. Get spooky. <laughs> <laughs>